Well, anyway, <clears throat> I don't know about that, but well, I've had a good time. We've been in this sermon series, uh, and it's been so helpful. You've responded so well. We've had uh, so many, uh, uh, you know, just just emails, and uh, I've received uh, just dozens of text messages about this series. I've heard good reports from our small groups, and I think all of us are, are really beginning to grasp this idea of becoming the best church member that we can be in our body, in the body that God's giving us. It's interesting, this is uh, Church Membership Sunday. We'll have about 10 families joining the church here at the end of the service. I'm excited about introducing them to you. And so the title of my message, so they'll, they'll understand just what we're expecting, is this, the church member of my dreams. <laughs> Robert, who's about, yeah, right here, the church member of my dreams. We're having a good time with it. Honestly, this is the final sermon. I thought, what a better way to end than just to give you what, what, what I, and I don't know if I'm right or not, but I've got a guy in the Bible that if we had a church full of this one, uh, and I think everyone, by the end of the message, will be convinced that I've at least got a point that this may be the church member of any pastor's dreams. But next, next Sunday, we're going to begin a new series of messages, starting with March 6th, going through Easter Sunday, called The Gospel, The Death, Burial, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every Sunday for the month of March, we're going to feature, focus, really hone in on the cross, the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection. Bring friends, bring lost friends, bring people who need to to hear the gospel. Bring neighbors and folks that you work with. Listen, it would be a shame for me to only preach this sermon to save people. Listen, people need to hear the gospel, and when we preach it, we ought to bring folks to hear it. And let them them hear the gospel. And so I can't wait. It's going to be incredible. I just finished the first sermon yesterday about 1.30 in the afternoon, and I was so excited. I've already turned my notes in, my scriptures. I am so pumped. So I've got a whole week now just to pray, seek the face of the Lord, and get ready for sermon number one in that series. And so I can't wait till next Sunday. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. And in just a moment, I am going to introduce someone to you. But what would the church member of my dreams be like? Well, I'm going to tell you who it wouldn't be like. Let's start with that. You ready? Believe it or not, it would not be the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul, he wrote 13 books in the New Testament. He might be arguably uh, the greatest uh, the greatest Christian, apart from Jesus Christ, obviously, in the New Testament. I mean, this, 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 this guy, Paul, was, was my hero. But I would not want a church full of them. Listen, it, he was a theologian. It's hard enough preaching to some of you smart folks that critique my sermons. Can you imagine if I had a church full of folks that said, Preacher, I was thinking about what you said. Whoa, I could hardly get through a sermon. I don't mind having one or two Apostle Pauls, but a church full of them, not me. I definitely wouldn't want a church full of Peters. Can you imagine the hotheads in this building? Peter was the guy that when they came to get Jesus in the garden, he pulls a sword out and chops the guy's ear off. All of us would have one ear in the building right now, I guarantee you. We'd all get upset with somebody and draw the sword. And Peter had a way of sticking his foot in his mouth. He'd have been walking in and out of the service. He'd have been a nervous wreck. He'd have been talking out. In the ser- Man, listen, I can handle one or two of those, but a church full of them? I'm not sure I'm interested in that. So when you begin to think about the church member of my dreams, I want to introduce you to somebody in Acts chapter 4. If you'll notice in verse 36, the verse begins with these words, and Joseph, 
who in the world is Joseph? Well, Joseph was his name. That was the name he was given when he was born, kind of like my firstborn son, Matthias. You say, oh, you mean Mo? Yeah, Mo is his surname, his nickname. Uh, Joseph had a nickname. Look at it. And Joseph, who by the apostles were, was surnamed Barnabas. He was given a nickname. He was given another name, a name that they related better with. In other words, I'm convinced that by the end of the message, you're going to think it might have even been Barney. I, I think it might go a step further than Barnabas. And so we've got a guy here in Scripture that the Bible speaks of his name being Joseph, his nickname being Barney, but then it gives us the interpretation of his name. The interpretation of his name. Everybody has a name, and their name means something. Barnabas' name meant the son of consolation. Now, what, 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 what does that mean? Well, we, we, that word consolation is in the Greek would be where we, where we get the name for the Holy Spirit, parakletos. Parakletos, so you've got consolation, Greek, parakletos, Holy Spirit. The name for the Holy Spirit in this context is the, is the word comfort. Comfort. Consolation, parakletos, our Holy Spirit is our comforter. Literally, let's go deeper. Literally, it means this. Encourager. Literally. Barnabas, his nickname was encouragement. He was a Levite. He was of the country of Cyprus. Now, I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about this man whose name meant encouragement. And then I want to see if I can convince you that if we had a church full of encouragers, what kind of difference could that make in a church like this? Now, let me tell you something. Barnabas was a guy that encouraged everyone because there is so much discouragement we need some encouragement. You know, we live in a world, we live in a society that is chaotic. We got a political process that, folks, if you tune in to some of these debates, it's discouraging by the time you turn off, uh, by the time it's over. I mean, they're entertaining, but good night. It's, it's crazy what's happening in our political system. And we're all, we're all concerned about that. And it's somewhat discouraging. Who's the candidate? We're all seeking and praying. We think about the condition of the world today with ISIS. And you, you look at some of the news and it's what? It's, it's discouraging. You hear that our nation has now added another trillion dollars of debt to its already trillions of dollars of debt. And what do we begin to get? Somewhat discouraged because there's so much discouragement so i believe that when we come to church i believe it's somewhat good for us to be encouraged we serve a great god we worship the creator of the universe we have a god that when we talk to him he actually listens i'm talking about this thing of being encouraged when my wife was sick she was a sick unto death for a period of time. It's been several years ago. And some of you have been members of this church long enough to remember it. My wife and I had a verse. This verse was a verse that we clung to. This was a verse that we embraced. This was our life's verse for her trial. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. And it says these words. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father 
of mercies, and the God of all comfort. The Bible speaks here of a God who comforts. What a God we serve. What a comforting God we serve. Someone who never leaves us or forsakes us. We sang a moment ago, always, right? What a comforting God we have. Look as it goes on to say, he comforts us in all of our tribulation. Why does he do that? Why does God comfort us? Some of us think so we can just sit back and watch television and be calm and not take stress pills and, and just feel good about ourselves. And No, no. Let me tell you why God comforts you. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. Now listen, listen. How do we comfort them? By the comfort wherewith we ourselves have been comforted with by God himself. So the God of all comfort comforts us. Why? So we can comfort somebody else. You see, this thing of comfort is not something we keep to ourselves. Some of us think we primarily come to church for what we can get out of it. Well, pastor, I hope you got a good sermon today. Because I am here to be blessed. And I hope, Brother Eric, you got something to keep me away. I want to be sure you, you know that I'm here. I've, it's been a long week, Eric. And I came today, I came looking to be blessed myself. Well, I got some news for you. That's not why you should be here. The primary reason why we ought to be here is to bless somebody else. To touch somebody else. To reach out to somebody else. To love somebody else. And if you've been blessed, bless somebody If you've been encouraged already, encourage somebody else. And so as we begin to understand this thing of encouragement, we've got to understand that if we are discouraged, who did it? Who got us discouraged? It wasn't God. God is not behind discouragement. The devil did it. And if the devil has you discouraged, I want you to know he has you in a really bad place. He has you set for failure. Because discouragement is the dark room where the negatives of failure are developed. I can assure you if you're discouraged today, you are setting yourself up for failure. And the devil is on your heels. He's on your trail. But you know what? If you're encouraged, if you're not discouraged but you're being encouraged this morning, you can do just about almost anything. There's something about being encouraged that, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid... My preacher used to say, man, when I walk out of church, I'm ready to attack hell with a water gun. Anybody ever heard of a football player named Bobby Lane? He's old timer. He's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, he's not Vince Lombardi or Roger Starback or Joe Montana, but he's Bobby Lane. You say, what's so special about Bobby Lane? Well, if you go to Columbus, Ohio, and you go to the National Football Hall of Fame... And you walk by Bobby Lane's display, you won't see anything real fabulous or spectacular, but you will see a helmet. It's Bobby Lane's helmet. And underneath it, there's an inscription that says this. Bobby Lane, he never lost a football game. Time just ran out. Hey, you like that? You see, most of us, it's all about what we lost. Bobby said, I had lost a thing. I just, I just ran out of time. Mindset, encouragement. You can look at this world and say, oh, woe is me. Or you can say, hey, that just means Jesus is coming soon. And we got a better place. And God's in control. Are you with me? 
You say, well, wait a minute, Brother Eric, are you just a bunch of hype and just trying to make us feel good about something that ought to be making us feel bad? Listen, I've got a Bible right here that says I'm on the winning side. I'm not going to preach defeat when I am a victor. And I believe with all of my heart what God's people need is they need a dose of encouragement so they can understand their father loves them. He's a good, good father. And he's always with us. And he takes broken pieces and mends them and makes them new. So I want you to see five characteristics in Barney's life. You know Barney, right? You ever seen Mayberry? My whole body's a weapon. You know Barney? Oh, yeah. He wasn't the strongest guy in town. But I tell you what, he sure was a funny guy. He was a happy guy. He was a guy that just kind of made you laugh. He encouraged you. I want to encourage you today with this message. That's not the Barnabas in the Bible, okay? If you thought, oh, I didn't realize Barney was in the Bible. You missed it, okay? It's okay, it's okay. New learner. I want you to see, number one, if you're an encourager, you're going to see an encourager is a load lifter. An encourager is a load lifter. Look at verse 37 of our text here, 36, 37. 36, we're introduced to this Barney. 37, it says something about Barney. It says he had some land. He owned some land. And Barnabas sold the land. And then he did something with the money. He sold the land, and then he brought it to the apostles. He brought it to the church. He took the money from the land that he sold, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Why did Barney do that? What's the story behind the land being sold? What is the whole story to that? Well, here it is. You see, if you're familiar with this this passage of Scripture, you know that what's happening in the church right now is they're experiencing a great revival. People are being saved by the thousands. Amen. I mean, there are, there are, the church is exploding. But let me tell you, when we see great church growth and great revival, it is always coupled with persecution. So there's great persecution as well. The church is somewhat overwhelmed with all of the responsibility of thousands of new converts. Can I tell you what would happen today if thousands of people were saved in, in Gospel Light or in Hot Springs? If thousands were saved, we would have many needs. It'd be awesome. But I guarantee you pastors would be getting up next Sunday and saying, folks, we, we need some resources. We've got to have some money. We need discipleship books. Most of these people don't have Bibles. We've got to buy Bibles. We've got, that's when a missionary comes. What does he need? He needs resources. He's got a people he needs to reach, and he's got to get there, and so he's raising money. And so we'd be saying, listen, God is moving. God is working. We need help. So Barnabas is sitting in the church that day, and he says, uh, wow, that's awesome. I, you know, I've got an old piece of property. Just sitting there. Can't take it with me. Church has a need. So he puts a for sale sign up on the property. God blesses. He sells it. And he takes the money and he lays it at the apostles' feet. Because you know what? A Barnabas is a load lifter. When he hears about a need, he moves in to fill that need. Now, now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you're off the hook. Well, I'm off the hook on this one, preacher. Thank you. Go on the point, too, because I don't own any land. I don't have any land to give. Well, do you have any love to give? You got some love? Have you possibly got any wisdom you can give? Have you got some time you can donate? 
Hey, do you know of a, of a, of a special needs child that maybe you could help? Hey, do you know of, a, of, a, of a someone who is sick and just needs a visit? Do you know of a wife whose husband left her who needs some encouragement? Do you know of a child who's been abandoned that can maybe just use someone to adopt them into their family and bring them in? I, I'm just saying, do, is there something you can give? There's needs all over this church. There's needs all over this community. You know what Barnabas understood? There's a difference between ownership and stewardship. We need to understand that. You see, some of us, were way too possessive with what we have as if we owned it. Well, I do own it, preacher. No, no, no. God owns it. You're a, you're a steward. That's all you are. That's all I am. God owns it all. We are stewards of what God has trusted us with, and it needs to be available if God wants it. Barnabas didn't lose what he had. Some of us are feeling really sorry for Barnabas. Poor guy. Man, that that must have been into his retirement. Whoa. Sold a piece of property, probably in emotional service. You know, he probably regretted it. Let me tell you something. Barnabas didn't lose anything because the only thing you can take with you is that which you've given away. You, you can't take it with you. You know, sometimes I think we can take it with us. You know, we, 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 we keep it, we hoard it as if when we die, God's going to let us take it to heaven. It's going to oppress him with his pearly gates and golden streets and mansions, you know. Al Copeland. Anybody ever heard of Al Copeland? Al Copeland owns Popeye's. I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. Can you tell? I, I, I lived two blocks away from Al Copeland. Now, I didn't live in a real rich neighborhood, but two blocks over, it was a real na- rich neighborhood. And Al Copeland lived there, about a 20,000-square-foot house. Man, you drive by that house, and you'd just go, wow. You'd gawk and think, man, this guy. Of course, he needed a 20,000-square-foot house and 20 or 30 garages because he collected cars. His whole life, his, his love had to do with these old collectible cars he had. Well, Al Copeland died about five years ago. Before he died, he told his friends, he said, listen, I don't care if anybody shows up to my funeral, but make sure all my cars are there. And so when you drove by this massive funeral of this billionaire, you saw just a sea of cars worth hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars. But can I tell you something? They're going to burn one day. Al Copeland would have been much better getting saved and selling all them cars and helping a church in the mission field. Helping feed hungry kids somewhere in Africa. Because you can't take it with you. The only thing you take with you is that which you've given away. So we are stewards of what God has entrusted us with. And what a, what a, what a, what a encourager does is he, he moves in to meet a need. He looks for a need. He hears about a need. He then does inventory in his own life, and he says, what can I do to help meet that need? It's not the seed that's kept in the barn that increases. It's the seed that's invested. It's that which we give away. It's that which we invest. It's that's what we sow. It's that which we plant that multiplies. It comes back again and again and again and again and again. Cast your bread upon the water, Right? So we understand this. Barnabas was a load lifter. Number two, the second thing we find out about Barney is this. As we, as, we, as we journey through the book of Acts, he shows up again. Out of nowhere, he's not real famous in Scripture. You almost have to look for the old boy. But you find him again in chapter 9. 
And if you look with me, at, you can look on the screen or in your scripture, chapter 9, verse 27. <clears throat> or 20, let's look at 23, I'm sorry. The Bible says that after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Stop right there, just don't turn it yet. Kill who? You see that kill him? Go back. Yeah, you, okay, you're there, Ken, I'm sorry. Or Luke, I'm sorry, Luke. Who is him? All right, don't miss this. Got to give you a little background. Bible study, is that okay? (laughs) Him is Paul. Paul used to be what? He used to be Saul when when he was lost. But Saul got converted and became Paul. Okay, all right, little Bible lesson. So the Jews are after Paul to kill him. That's kind of discouraging, isn't it? You know what's really discouraging about it is? Poor guy just got saved. You'd think everybody would be happy. But the Jews want to kill him. They want to kill him because he's preaching the Messiah. Has, has already come and he's going to come back and he's, he's going to rule and reign and he's the Messiah. He, it was Jesus. That, and they, they want to kill him. So that's the picture. All right, now let's see where Barnabas shows up. Move on. It says that their laying await was known of Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So Paul found out about it and he, he's hiding. I mean, that's what you do when somebody's trying to kill you. You hide. If there was a contract on your life, you'd be hiding. All right? And then the disciples took him by night. So they they were helping to hide him. The disciples were. And he obviously needed to keep moving. All right? So they let him down by the wall in a basket. That's kind of a strange... you, You see this great Apostle Paul coming down a wicker basket down the side of a wall in Jerusalem. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. Now, here's what's interesting. He's trying to get with the church. He's trying to find some Christians because now he's a Christian. But look what the Christians are doing. Did you see that? They were all afraid of him. They believed that he wasn't even a disciple. This is how they were. Well, we know he said he got saved, but we're going to wait a year and make sure he meant it. Oh, yeah. You've seen him. We don't even know if he meant it. Hey, you, you saw that tattoo. He's probably still a rebel. You saw it. He's got issues. I'm telling you, don't get close to that boy. He used to do bad stuff. We're going to give it a while. The disciples were afraid of him. They didn't even believe he was a Christian. Next verse. But Barney took him. You know why? Because Barnabas, an encourager, is a load lifter. An encourager is a friend finder. A friend finder. Barnabas found, he found Saul. The disciples were afraid of him. He finds him. And the Bible says, go back to that verse, Luke. And and Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly in Damascus the name of Jesus. Basically, Paul, uh, Barnabas came along, this new convert, and said, hey guys, he's okay. He's a good guy. I know he may not look very spiritual. He may not have it all together. He's a new convert, but he loves Jesus. You know what this church needs to be? A bunch of Barneys that are looking for friends to connect to Jesus. Looking for people, try to find people who are looking. They're lonely, and there's a lot of new Christians that need somebody to find them and be a friend to them. We've got some new members joining the church. Do you know why these new members are joining today? Do you know why? I'll tell you why. Because I am a great preacher. Oh, yeah, they told me. All of them told me. 
All of them told me. Robert over here called me up and said, Preacher, there's only one reason why we're joining this church. You wax eloquent. If you believe that, I've got some land next to the Eiffel Tower in Paris that I'll sell you. That's not why Robert's joining, his wife Sherry. That's not why any of these people are joining. Can I tell you why people join churches? They feel welcomed. They feel the warmth of the church. People were friendly. People took them in. People made them feel as if. Now, sure, does the preaching play into it? Sure, does the music? Yeah. Are there other components? I, no doubt about it. If I was preaching heresy, none of these folks would consider it. If, if we were, if, if this wasn't a place where Jesus met with us, I understand that. But listen to me. This is, and, and by the way, this is not just the Bible's thoughts. In my opinion, this is what the church growth classes teach you it is the friendly church it is the church full of people who love one another and who accept one another he was a friend finder he searched out a friend to connect into the church our homes should be full of this kind of encouragement studies have found that it's impossible to spoil a baby in the first year of life listen if you've got a baby under a year old you can kiss that baby a million times a day, get it, give him anything he wants, give her anything she wants, it won't hurt him a bit. You can't spoil a little baby enough. You've got to be careful as they get older, right? <laughs> but listen, new Christians, you can't love them enough. You can't spoil them enough. You can't receive them enough. They've got so much they've been through. Hey, they just need a place where they feel they can grow, where they're loved and accepted. They're going to need time to, 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 to get rid of some of the things in the, in the baggage and the things they've gone through. But if we'll be patient, if we'll accept them, if we won't be afraid of them. Listen, folks, we live in a society that if our church was really what it should be, we'd have a lot of weird-looking folks in this building. Did you hear what I said? If our church was what it should be, everybody last night downtown hot springs at 11 o'clock at night doing weird stuff would feel like they could come here and feel welcome i know i know i don't agree with this church and they probably don't agree with what i was doing but one thing is they won't be nice to you when you walk in they make you feel like they want you here am i preaching the truth that's a barney this is what our church needs to be full of listen i'm sorry church listen if you're looking for an apostle paul i'm not one i don't even have a doctorate degree left yet I, I probably need to get one. Dr. Grubbs is on me about it. I'm going to get one. But I'm not going to get one so I can be smart. I'm going to get one so it'll help me to be a better president and a better educator. Because the truth of the matter is, I know. I know it's not feel, being a theologian that's going to reach the world for Christ. I know it's going to reach this city for Christ as a pastor that loves them and cares for them and reaches out to them. I know I won't be a Peter. I'm not much on confrontation. I'm not a real mean guy. I'm sorry. I... Look, you people that like MMA, I don't know how you do it. I respect you. How you can watch people get their heads chopped off and blood everywhere and fall down to the ground like they're dead. And you guys are like, yeah, I love it. Here's me. Oh, oh, oh. I can't even watch it. It's like I, I watch it for a little while, then I cringe. And I, and I mean, you know, I mean, it's just so tough. I, I like... I, because I'm thinking about that poor family and the mother that has to, oh, it's terrible. And I'm, I'm not a Peter. <laughs> I like, I'm a Barney. 
I was just, you know, hey, I just want to, I just want to enjoy the day, enjoy my church, have a good time, enjoy life, love Jesus, and wait for Jesus to come back and take as many people with me as possible. I ain't interested in chopping your ear off, okay? I'm not interested in impressing you with my eloquence. What I'm interested in is loving you and caring for you and making sure you feel connected. That's what we need today. That'll change this city. I wanted to give you a third thing. He was a load lifter. He was a friend finder. Number three, Barnabas was a bridge builder. He built bridges. That's what he did. Look at Acts 11, verse 19. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose. Remember I told you about that persecution? Hey, it's in full swing now. You, you Listen. Christians in the early church know what it's like to get crucified and got their heads chopped off just like they're getting now. It's much more now, but it was back then. Persecution is everywhere. And the Bible says here that it arose about Stephen. He traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus, verse 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they came to Antioch, kind of an important town, Antioch, he spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. A great number believed, verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. Now pay attention. What had happened here was the church in Jerusalem had exploded, right? Are you with me? Just simple, simple language here. It had exploded. Persecution came. What happens when the church is persecuted? Christians, what well, they scatter. So now Christians had gone to Antioch to plant the church. The persecution wasn't near as bad. They were able to... to, to, to preach Jesus with a little more liberality and, and, and a lot less persecution. So, man, they're having a time. They're, they're doing some new stuff over in Antioch, man. It's growing. It's going, it's going crazy. But Jerusalem hears about it. And all of a sudden, the gossip starts. I've heard they got some Christians down there in Antioch that ain't doing things like we are. I'm concerned about them. Have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard that, that they're, they're down there? I heard their music's different. I heard, I heard it, I just heard it's out of control. I'm telling you, they are down there. We need somebody to go in there and make sure they're doing it right. And so, here's what they came up with. Let's get Barney. Right? They sent forth Barnabas. Hey, Barney, go down there to Antioch. Let's see how they're doing. Oh, you asked the right guy. He's a bridge builder. They knew that Barney would bridge the tradition church to the contemporary church. They knew Barney would bridge the old First Baptist Church of Jerusalem to the new New Life Church, the new, you know, church in Antioch. Yeah. So, so Barnabas goes and look. Who, when he came, he saw the kind of music they listened to. He saw the kind of clothes they wore. He saw, no, he saw one thing. He saw what he was looking for. It's the same thing you see when you come to church. You see what you're looking for. So guess what? If you came looking for criticism, you found it. Here it is. The most imperfect pastor you've ever seen. Don't look any farther. Please, don't look. I promise you, this week, my wife and I had arguments. (gasps) Did you hear the pastor reveal to the whole church that a couple of times his wife gave him the silent treatment? Yes. 
this week I got the silent treatment on a couple of occasions where it's like, oh man, I gotta go get, it's like, you know, and you walk past in the hallway and you're like, okay, who's going to talk first? Backslidden is the devil. I mean, and I got to preach Sunday. I got to preach Sunday and I can't even get along with my wife. So if you're looking to criticize, here he is. Please do not look any farther. If you're looking to criticize, I got some news for you. I sinned this week. What was it, Pastor? Tell us. Come on, tell us, Pastor. What'd you do? What'd you do, Pastor? I ain't telling you what I did. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I made some mistakes this week. I, I'm, I fell short. <laughs> I'm not perfect. You see, if you're looking to criticize, you'll find it. But if you're looking to be blessed, you'll be blessed. If you're looking for a blessing, if you're looking to, to, to see the grace, he saw the grace of God. He didn't go looking with a judgmental eye. He didn't go looking to see if they're doing it just like Jerusalem. He went looking, do they love Jesus? Do they preach Jesus? And if they love Jesus and preach Jesus, they okay. And so he exhorted them all. Now, why did he do all this? Because he was a good man. You like that, Ray? Look at that. He was a good man. Isn't that good? Give me a high five, Ray. <laughs> he was a good man. I love Ray. If you, hey, I don't care. If all of you guys weren't enjoying this, I'd just keep looking at him. <laughs> you got to know where to look for your encouragement. No, you're doing, all of you guys are doing good. He was a good man, and he was full of the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you something. Barney was an encourager, which means... He was a bridge builder, which God called a good man full of the Holy Ghost. That's pretty good. All right, let's look at number four. Not only was he a bridge builder and a load lifter and a friend finder, but thirdly, I I didn't give you the the notes there, right? I didn't give you three kinds of church leadership. (laughs) Why didn't somebody tell me? (laughs) All right, let me give it to you. Ready? There's three kinds of church leadership. There's risk takers, there's caretakers, and there's undertakers. A risk taker has vision. Now, you're looking at a pastor that for a few years, I lost my vision. I was kind of a caretaker, and I think it was good. I think I needed to be there. It's not always wrong to just kind of care for the church and let storms pass and survive for a little while. We, we were. I mean, I'll admit it, God's fight. We, we, we survived for a little while. We, we had a lot of things to change and things to build up, and we had to, we had to work hard. At, listen, we were a young church, still are somewhat, but... We, we, but you know what God's doing now? I'm getting back some vision. I, it's not the same vision as it was before. It's not about building a bunch of buildings. It's about working with other churches to reach this city for Christ. I don't even think everybody should go here anymore. I used to think everybody should go here. I used to think people were wrong if they didn't go here. Now, I'm just glad people go any church. And if they go here, great. Hallelujah. But I'm working with churches now. And it may be that we build another building or two. Who knows? Maybe God would want us to do that. But he may not want us to do that. The success of a church is not how many buildings we build. It's how many people we reach. And so, I want to be a risk taker. I'm getting back to that. Then there's undertakers. These are guys that just kill the church. I mean, it just you can just tell. They run people off. And they like it. They brag about it. Yeah, you should have heard me give it to them Sunday. Lost five people. It was great. Oh, yeah, they stormed out. They were all mad. I don't really care. I get my paycheck. You know, undertakers, they, they, are, they just kill the church. Their spirit's bad. They're mean every Sunday. Have you ever wondered, how long would you listen to me preach if all I did was this? 
I'll tell you a bunch of slumbags. Get right with God. You'd come a couple Sundays and think, I don't think the boy's ever going to change. Listen, you know what? I think you can preach strong and do it with love. I think I can get up here and say, folks, listen, if you don't trust Jesus, you'll die and spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Instead of, turn or burn, you're going to split hell wide open. I mean, I just think I can preach the truth and do it with love. And I think, I think Barney teaches us something about, number four, look at it. He was a disciple developer. Look at Acts 11, verse 25. Let's move on. Acts 11, verse 25. We're in the same text, but we're finishing up this little story, right? This is the story where Antioch, remember that in the last point? Antioch, the church, was growing. All right, let's, 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 let's finish that story. Look at verse 20. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Are you ready? Don't miss this. So Barnabas, where is Barnabas as of right now? He's in Antioch, right? Because they sent him to Antioch, right? So Barnabas is like, wow, this is overwhelming. They're starting to ask me some really tough questions. I can't answer them. I'm going to go get Paul. So he goes to Tarsus. Hey, Paul! Hey, Paul, you got to come to Antioch with me. There, it's crazy. The church is exploding. New converts are everywhere. They don't know much about God. They, they don't know much about the Bible. And I don't know how to answer their questions. They're getting really tough. And so, can you, can you come with me? So the Bible says, look at the next verse. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year, one whole year, Paul spent in Antioch training new disciples, building new disciples. In fact, it got so good that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. How you like that? I mean, the first time anybody ever got called a Christian was when Barney found Paul. Number four, an encourager is a disciple developer. A disciple developer. In other words, let me give you some good news. Those of you that are getting kind of nervous right now, hey, an encourager doesn't necessarily do it. I mean, to be honest with you, sometimes <laughs> we don't have that gift. But you know what an encourager will do? Find somebody that can. I mean, here's an encourager. Hey, hey, Micah. Let me, let me, let me use somebody else here. Um, let's see. Uh, who's, who's in, who's in, okay, Jason, you're in, uh, Kids Incorporated, right? Okay, so I go to Jason, Jason, hey man, hey, uh, you're in Kids Incorporated, right? You're working with children in our church, uh, you guys need any help? A little help? Oh, you do? Need some help? Hey, I got the perfect person. You ain't gonna believe this. Listen, hey, you gotta meet this guy right here, Micah. Micah, come here, Micah, come here. Come here, Micah, hurry up. I know you just got married, you can leave her for a minute, okay? All right, Micah, I, I want you to meet Jason. Jason, this is Jason. Jason, stand up. And, and Jason, this is Micah. Micah, this is Jason. This guy loves kids. He don't have any, but he loves them. And, and, and I'm telling you, you guys need to connect. I mean, it's incredible. If you guys talk, I think, I'm just saying, you might. It, isn't that cool? Go Sit down. What are you doing? <laughs> <clears throat> but, see, that's an encouragement. He looks 
he, he, he talks to people, and then he says, oh, man, you got to meet so You'll love so You play the guitar, you got to meet Joe. Joe. You play the drums, oh, you'd love our worship team. Oh, you like to cook, you got to meet Greg. Greg is looking for cooks. Amen. You ought to hear Greg's schedule right now. He is overloaded. He's got so many things he's doing. He's probably working 80 hours a week. Maybe somebody could say, I'll give a couple hours in the kitchen every week, help Brother Greg out. And by the way, Greg, a lot of things you're doing are not related to the church. You've got a lot going on right now with community stuff. And so he and Miss Vicki Dauber sometimes work till 9 o'clock at night, just the two of them, and work it out. And, and a lot of times it's off the clock. It's not even paid. You, you, can, you like cooking? I got the person to me. Greg is incredible. All I make is I'm good grilled cheese. I mean, seriously. I'm, I, I can make real, I, well, actually, the best thing I cook is, is French, as uh, cinnamon toast. Yeah, I am great at cinnamon toast. But you can't live off cinnamon toast. <laughs> Greg, you don't need me in the kitchen, but I guarantee you, I could find somebody that's a Barney. He's always looking to connect people. Number five, and I'm done. The last thing, I want you to notice with me, in, in Acts chapter number 15, last time we see old Barney mentioned here, in verse 36, and some days after Paul said to Barney, let's go again. Again. Let's go again? All right, listen. Paul and Barnabas and Mark. Are you with me, little Bible lesson? Paul, Barnabas, and Mark had been on what's called a missionary journey. You know, ever heard of Paul's missionary journeys? The first missionary journey that Paul ever went on he went on with Barney and Mark. But something happened. I don't know what happened. But Mark quit. I don't know why he quit. It doesn't tell us. I'm going to guess. One of four things. He backslid. That can happen. He could have made a mistake and backslid. Number two, he got homesick and just quit. He just said, guys, I can't handle this anymore. I'm going home. Maybe he got tired. Maybe he got sick. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us why, but Mark quit. So some days after Paul said to Barnabas, let's go again and let's visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of the Lord. Let's go again and see how they're doing. All right. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Hold it right there. So Barney says, awesome, let's do it. I'll go get Mark. And Paul says, Paul thought, that's not good. We ain't taking that cotton-picking quitter. Dadgum, he don't even stay. I don't like the guy. He, you know, let's just say he backslid. He made a mistake, and you know what? I Honestly, I don't trust the guy. I wouldn't take him with me for nothing. I, wouldn't, I don't trust him as far as I can throw an elephant. Paul goes off. Paul goes off on Barney. He departed. And he didn't go with us. Next verse. And the contention was so sharp. All right, let me act it out. Hey, uh, hey, Barney, let's, let's go on another journey, Barney. Oh, awesome. Hey, I'll go get Mark. Who? Mark, my nephew. They were related. My nephew, Mark, I'm telling you, he'll love this. He, he's doing a little better. We ain't taking that sucker. He's a quitter. What do you mean he's a quitter? I mean, you've got to give a guy a second chance. Come on. All right, listen. Well, you know what? He can have a second chance somewhere else. He ain't giving a second chance with me. 
And so they get in a fight. They get in an argument. They agree to disagree, and they go their separate ways. Look at it. It was so sharp that they departed asunder one from the other, and Barnabas took Mark, and Paul took Silas. Number five, an encourager is a failure fixer. An encourager probably joins Celebrate Recovery with Ray and helps work with people who are broken. Because you don't give up on anybody, right? I mean, Jesus doesn't give up on anybody, but we do. So, so he's a failure fixer. So he says, we're going to take it. So they, they go their separate ways, but I got some good news. Are you ready for this? You, you don't want to miss this. Guess who Mark is? Let's say the Gospels together. Matthew. There it is. Mark wrote the second Gospel. What does that tell us? That tells us he got it right. He got to write a book in the Bible. And let me give you another reason why we can be encouraged today. Paul repented of his stuck-up attitude. You say, what do you mean Paul repented of his stuck-up attitude? Yeah, look at the next verse. He's in prison in 2 Timothy. No, 2 Timothy. It ain't looking good. He's about to die, right? Paul is in Rome in a Mamertine prison. And here's what Paul says. Frail, weak, about to die. Hey, only Luke is with me. Go get Mark. Bring him to see me. He's profitable to me for the ministry. Somewhere along the line, church, I got some good news. The Bible wanted us to know, why did God put that in the Bible? What's so special about that verse? What doctrine do we learn from that verse? We learn the doctrine of the second chance. Don't give up on anybody. They may make a mistake. They may leave the church. They may fall by the wayside. They may quit. But they still, God still loves them and they can still make it back. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Paul said, Paul said, yeah, Paul, the guy that said, we ain't taking that loser with us. Paul said, I take it back. I take it back. He's profitable. He's profitable. Church, I think if we had a church full of these characteristics, load lifters, friend finders, bridge builders, disciple developers, and failure fixers, if we had a church full of those types of believers, I mean, people that came to church not looking what's in it for me, but how can I bless I think we could turn this city upside down. I'm convinced there's much more work that we need to do. And so I come to you today in this closing message on Church Membership Sunday, and I ask you to consider, if you've already joined our church and you've been a member a long time, are you anything like Barnabas? Are you someone who honestly and sincerely is looking to bless someone else and find a way they can meet a need? Or is it really more all about you and what you like and what you want? And that's okay. If that's the way it is, I understand for now. Would you pray with me this week? Would you consider with me this week that maybe Barnabas, I know he's not Paul. Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament. Barnabas, zero. I know Paul was a theologian and Barney was just 
Hey, guys. Hey. You know, I promise you one thing. I may not be the smartest pastor in town, but I'll tell you one thing. My goal is every Sunday you come to church to preach the truth, and when you leave this building, to be encouraged that God is in control. He's on the throne, and he's coming back soon. Every head bowed and every eye closed. With every